All right, bless the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be here tonight. Glad to be preaching tonight. Glad to be preaching on Sunday. Hallelujah. All right. We have a full weekend this weekend. We have the Andrew Eastman and his son John and his wife Kathy are going to be here. They're going to minister a few songs on Sunday morning, and then they will also do an entire service singing and preaching, sharing the word uh, Sunday afternoon at 5. And then we have um, pumpkin patch afterwards. Uh, so, And I think we have water baptisms um, on uh, during the service. So it's going to be an exciting service. We're going to believe God, the Spirit's going to move. And uh, we're in the book of John, um, not rushing. We're, we're going to finish chapter 1 tonight, and I'm going to do a little bit of uh, chapter 2. We're going to finish up chapter 1. Thank you, Ben, for uh, getting, uh, let's see, you were on the last part. You did some about the disciples, and we're going to talk a little bit more. Uh, how many of you know who Nathaniel was? Who was Nathaniel? Y'all are guessing. <laughs> no, he wasn't one of the prophets. That was a good guess, though, Brother Bill. He was not one of the 12 disciples. No, he wasn't. Well, we're going to talk about him tonight, and we're going to find out why we're going to talk about him tonight. Because John mentions Nathaniel, but Matthew, Mark, or Luke does not mention Nathaniel. So you have to ask the question, why? Why did Matthew, Mark, and Luke skip that, not even mention him? And why did Jesus bring it up? So we're going to look at some interesting things tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you. We want your Holy Spirit to guide us, lead us, and direct us. And Lord, we pray for insight revelation, wisdom, knowledge. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to every heart the things that we need to hear. Help us to hear the things we need to hear. And Lord, we just submit to you the power of the Word of God. There's power in this Word. And I just ask you, Lord, to help us to understand what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, we're going to begin chapter 1, verse 43, go up to the end, verse 51, and then we're going to go chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, which is the wedding and Jesus turning the water into wine. We'll be talking about that too. So let's look at it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew, and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, 
we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached, Jesus said, now, here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Interesting, since he has not met him yet, has not talked to him, does not know him, calls him a genuine son of Israel, and says he's a man full of integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel said, asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. So obviously, Jesus could see him sitting under a fig tree before Philip came to get him. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And I would have to say there's a big amen to that. He's going to see a whole lot more than just the fact that he can see ahead. Interesting verse here. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all, not, now he's not talking to just Nathaniel, he's talking to all of the disciples there, and possibly all of us, you will all see heaven open. Here's the strange, interesting statement. And the angels of God going up and down own the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. What an what a interesting way, and that this again, Jesus is not making a mistake here. Uh, he knew exactly what he was saying. He knew why he was saying it and why he said it that way. Uh, you know, if it's just a guy talking, then you can think, well, he's maybe a misstatement. But this is Jesus talking. So he's very specific in what he's saying. And we're going to look at that as why he said what he did. Now let's go ahead and we're going to jump ahead and read the next ch- uh, few verses of chapter 12. We're going to come back and kind of look at all of this, but we just want to go ahead and get the context. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. That gives me the idea that they might have been late invitees. They might have, they might have seen Jesus and the disciples, and, he, and they said, you know, why don't y'all come to the wedding? Could, could have been like that. Uh, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, and it could have been because of the extra guests they just invited. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that is not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's kind of like, I'm taking this out of my ballpark. <laughs> I'm going to put it in your uh, ball, ball court, and you're going to do, and just whatever he says do, that's what you do. Verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons, so pretty good size uh, jar. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. 
when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was not now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everybody's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brother, and his disciples. The interesting thing, if you know anything about wine, and that is that what makes the wine the best, although I'm not an expert on wine, uh, but the longer it ages, uh, the better the wine. And so not only was it instantly turned from water to wine, but it was instantly aged and instantly made to be the best wine the master ceremonies had ever tasted. And was amazed that the bridegroom, who's usually in charge of all this, he's amazed that he gave the best wine for the end. He didn't really know where this had come from. He had no idea. It had been, been water just a few minutes earlier. You know, he had no idea of that. And so not only was it the miracle of just water into wine, but it was the best wine. It was aged wine. So let's go back. Let's think about this. Look at some of the things that are contained here. Um, and we're looking at the calling. And as we go back to chapter 1, we want to look at uh, the calling of the disciples and this thing with Nathaniel. I find it very intriguing, very interesting that Jesus brings out this, um, this portion about Nathaniel. And my first question that I want to ask you, and that is, why did Jesus call Nathaniel a genuine or a true son of Israel? Just, just you have to kind of let your imagination think a little bit here. Why would he use that term? And what was he saying? Again, understanding that everything Jesus said was not haphazard. It was not casual. Jesus was very succinct. He was very uh, deliberate in his statements. So when he said Nathaniel was a true or a genuine son of Israel. Anybody got any ideas why? And the world, would he say that about Nathaniel? Venture a guess. What you think, Mike? Okay. I like that. Saw his heart. Okay. I'm looking about that phrase, true son of Israel. I was looking for something else. Anybody have any other ideas? I think, yes. What you think, Pat? 
Okay. Okay. I think that's, that is correct. Um, yes. Okay, interesting. Um, and I think he did see his heart. Uh, it's kind of like what Mike said. He sensed something about his heart, but actually um, what Jesus said about the religious shoes, what did Jesus say about the religious shoes that had rejected him? He said, you're of your father, the devil. So Jesus did not consider the religious Jews, to be sons of Israel. Jesus believed only those who had the true heart for God. What is a son of Israel? It is someone who is, who is a child of God, who has a relationship with God, who has a heart for God, and who has that heart for God. Just because you're a Jew, that's something by birth. But Jesus was talking about more than just somebody who was born a Jew. He was talking about this is a true person who has a heart, a, a, a hunger for God, and, and is it's kind of interesting to me because Nathaniel starts out a little skeptical. And that doesn't put Jesus off at all. Because Nathaniel's first comment is, could anything good come from uh, Nazareth? Well, where does that come from? Well, because everybody, if they know the prophecies, they know the ruler of Israel would come from Bethlehem, that the ruler would come from Bethlehem. They they were schooled in that idea that the ruler of Israel would come from Israel. So here he says, this is the one we've been looking for, and he's from Nazareth. And so his first response is, hold it, can anything? Can anybody, can anything good, can can a Messiah come from Nazareth? Now, obviously, later, as they begin to find out more, they find out he was born in Bethlehem and had to uh, go to Egypt and then came back and lived in Nazareth and came from Nazareth. So he was from Bethlehem, but he was also from Nazareth, too. And, of course, that is to fulfill a scripture because it says the Messiah would be called a Nazarite. So I think the reason that uh, Jesus called him a true son of Israel, because it was to denote or to declare that just because you're a Jew doesn't make you a son of Israel. Just because you're born that way, that doesn't mean you're someone who has a relationship with God. And Jesus is looking for those Jews who had a relationship with God. And that was, you know, he hasn't even been rejected by the Jews yet. He hasn't even been rejected by the religious Jews. But Jesus knew what was coming. And so early on, here he is declaring those who have a heart for God, those who have a heart for Jesus, those people are the true sons of Israel. I love that. I, I love the fact that Jesus could see what was coming before it was ever there. That's amazing.
Second question I have about this, and that is, what did Jesus see in each of the disciples that made Jesus call them to be his disciples? Now, I want to fill in a little bit because uh, we're going to read from the book of Matthew, the calling of the disciples, just to give a little more background before you answer that question. Uh, let's look in Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. One day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And a little further up the shore, he saw the other two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come too. And immediately they followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Wow. (laughs) I mean, leaving their, their work, their source of living, their father, their family, uh, they laid all that behind and followed after this Jesus. And Nathaniel, though hesitant at the beginning, was totally blown away just by the fact that Jesus saw him under a fig tree before. And you see the story even, I know Brother Ben talked about this last week, how that, you know, uh, that they, he went, Andrew sought out his brother and, and wanted to tell others about Jesus, wanted to go share and went and got Simon. And, and so what do you think Jesus was looking for in these 12 disciples? And again, Nathaniel is not listed. He, Nathaniel is a disciple, but he was not one of the 12 apostle disciples, the first disciples. Jesus called him, uh, and Nathanael declared him the son of God and the king of Israel. So, and you kind of hit on it already, but what do you think Jesus was looking for in those 12 disciples? What do you think, Penny? Obedience? Certainly they displayed that by leaving everything behind and following after Jesus. Hardworking? What else? What else do you see? What do you you think Jesus was looking for? Because I think he's still looking for the same things. When he's calling disciples, he's looking for the same things that he was looking for back then. They were varied background. You know, there was a tax collector. There was a fisherman. So it wasn't their station in life. It was something else. Yes, back there. Willingness. Now, heart, yes. What's that? All right, I like that. I'm sorry? Hungry for God. And when I was reading this, and I was praying, I was saying, Lord, because, again, it it goes back to that heart. But I saw that each of these disciples wanted to be in his presence. They were willing to give up all kinds of things just to be in his presence. And you know, here's the thing. They didn't really understand who Jesus was. When they let down their fishing nets, 
left their father and walked away. They didn't, they didn't know really who Jesus was. It was just, did they hope that he was the Messiah? Did they hope and pray that he was the, the promised Messiah? Yes, but did they really know who Jesus was? No. Jesus would reveal himself to them over the next three and a half years. But they all, I believe, they all had an intense desire to want to be in his presence. They were drawn to be in his presence. Just They, they wanted to be there. And you know, sometimes you, you don't even know why you're there, but you want to be in their presence. And I think they sensed something about Jesus, and it was the presence of God. And again, it made Nathaniel be declared a true son of Israel. But for the others, it became, I believe, the hallmark. It became the, the pinpoint area that Jesus wanted those apostles to desire to be in his presence. They sensed that he was the Son of God. They sensed that he was from God, that there was an anointing of God upon him. And this miracle, the water to wine, was the first miracle. He was, And it's interesting because uh, go back to the last part of John 1, if we could. Um, back up a little bit. Yeah. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And and you know the thing of it is is that Jesus knows who we are before he he ever met us. He knew Nathaniel was a man of integrity, and he had never spoken a word to him. It just if you think Jesus knows you now, just think that he knows you before he ever met you. He knows you before you met him, before you talked with him, before you had a relationship with him. God knows your heart. And that's what he's looking for in a disciple. He's looking for the same things now that he did back then. He's looking for people. And, you know, it's great to want to serve him that's admirable that's good we need to be willing to serve him but you know Jesus is looking for people who will who want to enjoy his presence just to sit in his presence you know you don't have to sometimes you don't have to say a lot of words but you can just say Lord I want to be in your presence and I think Jesus was looking for disciples that had that kind of hunger. And he's looking for those disciples today. He, he's, he loves workers. I mean, I'm not downplaying a, a servant, a, a worker, the obedience. Those things are all important. But more important is that heart to say, Lord, I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your presence. And I think I, I see that in each of these disciples. I, I, I believe that was what Jesus was looking for. Uh, the third thing, third question I want to ask, and that is, why did John, John include the story of Nathaniel when none of the other Gospels even mention the story? 
Anybody have any ideas? Why John in specific, and it goes back to what was John's intention in writing his gospel? That's a hint. Why did John tell the story of Nathaniel when the other gospels left it out altogether? Ben? That's it. He was looking for someone. He wanted to tell the story. And in fact, throughout the book of John, he is telling miracles, stories. Everything relates to one thing. Jesus is the Son of God. The divinity, the God nature of Jesus. That is his intent. That is his heart. He wants us to know Jesus is not just another prophet. He's not just another man. He is the Son of God. And just because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, (laughs) he comes out and says, you are the Son of God. (laughs) It's kind of like Jesus goes, whoa, you believe believe I'm the Son of God because I saw that? Just wait. (laughs) Just wait. Until the dead are raised. Until the blind see. You know, just wait. You're going to see amazing things. And But then he says, you're going to see. And then he uses that amazing verse in verse 51. And that, that becomes my next question. Um, what in the world was Jesus referring to in verse 51? Let's look at verse 51 one more time. Then he said... I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Anybody have any ideas? Why in the, what is Jesus doing there? And again, he's choosing his words carefully. Any ideas? All the way back there. Hey, Drew. Ah, I love it. Hey, that's great. That's exactly right. Bill? It's exactly right. And actually use some of the same terminology. So let's look at it in Genesis 28, uh, verse 12. As he slept, this is Jacob. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway... And some translations use the word ladder. Same idea. A stairway that reached from the earth up into heaven. And he saw the angels of God. There we see why Jesus used that term. The angels of God going up and down the stairway. So that would paint the picture of what Jesus said. That the angels of God were on the stairway. Jesus is the stairway. And then look what he says in verse 17, uh, yeah, verse 17 of Genesis 28. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Little did Jacob know that he was speaking ahead four and a half thousand years. And Jesus was looking back four and a half thousand years. When Jesus said to Nathanael, 
And he did just say it to Nathaniel, said, but to all, he said, and you will see the Son of Man descending on that stairway. And the angels of God would be on the stairway. Literally, Jesus was saying, I am the way. And my work at the cross is going to provide an entrance or gateway into heaven. And you and I will have entrance into heaven through Jesus and what Jesus did at the cross. It's amazing to me that Jesus saw the finished work of the cross right at the beginning of his ministry. And he is talking about the finished work of the cross to Nathaniel of all people. Nathaniel, who no one else even mentions, he says to Nathaniel, this prophetic word going all the way back to Jacob, declaring, I'm the stairway. Jesus is the gateway. He is the gate. What did he say in John 10? Jesus said, I am the what? I am the door. People will enter in through me. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. So over and over, Jesus is trying to let us see that he is the gateway. He's the stairway. He's the dream that Jacob saw four and a half thousand years earlier. And here in an obscure mention to a man we never hear about again, Jesus declares, I am the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Why does Jesus decide to use the miracle of water and the wine as the beginning of his miracles? Anybody have any thoughts on like that? Now, let, let me just, just back up a little bit before I ask that question. Because there are some people who say, okay, they run out of wine. Mom comes, says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Do you believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew about Jesus' miracle working power? I believe he does. I believe she does. Now, we have no record Of any other miracles, this is the first miracle. But I'm telling you, I think moms are pretty smart. And I just think, you know, she caught him, you know, turning (laughs) bread into, I don't know what she caught him doing. But, you know, she, she saw, she knew somehow she had seen glimpses of his miracle working power. Maybe, maybe they had run out of food, and maybe she, she had seen him, you know, multiply the loaves before. Maybe she ordered pizza one night and said, Jesus, you know, we could really use the pizza tonight. I don't know what, what happened, but I still believe that Mary knew. And by the way, she comes up to him and says, Jesus. They've run out of wine. Don't you get the idea that she's kind of expecting him 
to do something about this, believing that he can do something. So even though we don't have record of it, I just think mom knows somehow. And I love his answer and her answer. His answer is, come on, mom. You know, this is not my business. This is not the time. And she doesn't force the issue. She doesn't push. She doesn't chasten him. You know, you don't chasten Jesus. (laughs) But she just says, she didn't even talk to Jesus after that. Well, she, she talks to the servants. Just do whatever he says. She just threw the football in his lap. Okay, you're not going to do anything, you're not going to do anything. But in case you do something, servants, do what he tells you. It sounds like what Mary said when the angel visited her. Be it unto me as you will. Lord, whatever you will. As she prayed and said, God, not my will, but your will. So here's Mary. She sees the problem, believes Jesus can solve the problem, approaches Jesus. Jesus says, it's not my time yet. But somewhere between when Jesus, excuse me, sometime between when Mary said, do whatever he says, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he thought, maybe up to that moment, it wasn't his time. But I believe the Holy Spirit overruled and said, yes, now is the time. And so, change of mind. Now, could, have, could Jesus have decided not to turn the water into wine? Sure. But, you know, boy, when mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy at home. No, it wasn't mom. It was the Holy Spirit. I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to him, working in him and through him. And now here's where it gets interesting again. Everything that is going on, And the way it happens has usually ties to the Old Testament. What he said to Nathaniel tied all the way back to Genesis 28. So it's not surprising that his miracle has ties back to the Old Testament. And so he turns water into wine. Do you notice how he did it? He looked around, and he saw six empty jars. They said held about 30 gallons. And he told the servants, fill them up with water. Now, let me just ask you a question. Just think with me now. If there had been seven jars available, empty jars, and if... They, Jesus had told them to fill up seven jars. Do you think seven jars would have been filled with wine? What do you think? Do you think if eight jars would have been available? That's how many would have been turned into wine. Do you agree? So here's my point. Is that God's power 
is unlimited. God can create five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten vessels full of wine with no problem. The limiting factor was not God's power. The limiting power was in the available vessels that were empty. Think God wasn't saying something to us? That he's looking for available vessels, empty vessels? And this relates to a story in the Old Testament. Can you tell me which one? There were two similar, there were two similar stories. One with Elijah, the second one was with Elisha. The one I think that relates best is the story with Elisha in 2 Kings. Let's look at it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And see if you don't see a similarity here. Although we're dealing with oil instead of water, but the principle is the same. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. And usually a flask was about a pint. A pint of a little shaped thing, about about a pint. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. Then go to your house with your son and shut the door. I love that behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. Then verse 5. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after the other. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. She was enjoying this. She was thinking, boy, this is valuable. You know, this is pretty cool. She said to one of her sons, there aren't any more, he told her. And then... The olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell of the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. To me, the picture is very similar. As long as there was an available, empty vessel, the oil, the power of God flowed. But as soon as there was no more availability of an empty vessel, the power of God, the oil, stopped flowing. In Jesus and the water and the wine, the wine was made for every available empty jar. There would have been more had there been more available. And I think God did that for us to say to us 
you know, if we, if we want God's power to flow through us, we need to present him an empty vessel. Say, Lord, fill me. Flow through me. And if we are that empty vessel, God's power will flow. But when we're filled, content, we believe that we're okay, we don't need anything, we're, we're okay without God. When we are not empty and not available, there's no power, there's no oil, there's no water flowing. And there has to be that heart to say, oh God, I want to be that empty vessel that you would flow into it. Now, I, I'm convinced that the picture that Jesus gave us was the same picture that he gave through Elisha back in the Old Testament. And that is, God's power works in empty vessels. And, the, the, you know, and, and there was something else going on and that is the idea and some people say okay well why did Jesus why did Jesus do this as this first miracle well actually this was the first miracle in a series of about four or five miracles in the beginning of John and they all related to making things new think about it here in chapter 2 uh, he makes the water, the new wine, out of water. That was the first thing. And then, if you remember, we'll see this next week, and that is he, cleans, he cleanses the temple. He makes a new temple uh, right after that. And then, in John chapter 3, we see the what? The new birth. And then uh, in chapter 4, he's talking about the woman in the well, and he talks about new water, or living water that will come out of this well, this new well. And then the last thing, also in chapter 4, he talks to this woman, he talks about a new kind of worship, a different worship. Those who would worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, I believe... The picture of the water into wine was just a beginning of a series of how Jesus was revealing himself. And he kept revealing himself as something new. That he is not the same way. He's not the same old traditional Jewish way. He is a new way. New worship. New water. New wine. Uh, God has a new thing uh, for our life. But again, what's the requirement? Empty vessel, a heart, a heart that says, God, here I am. And, you know, I just wonder if there's some people here tonight and you're, you're hungry and you're thirsty. God wants to fill you. He wants to take that flask of oil. I, you know, I can even, I can see it in my mind, the widow and, and I, you know, I've often wondered, why did Elisha say, shut the door? <laughs> did you catch that? Shut the door. He didn't want everybody else looking in. Because there might have been some greedy people <laughs> who sees this, 
flask who's pouring out oil, and they might say, hey, man, here we've got a, they're running out there going getting their vessel. This wasn't for everybody. This wasn't for every common person. This was for surrendered empty vessels. This was to honor this prophet and his widow and to supply her need. And so my heart tonight is that God is saying, if you're in a place where you're empty, you're in a good place. Now, when you're empty, you feel, "Ah, I've gotten to the end of myself. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It is a a little bit uh, fearful, but it's still a good thing. You know, I was reading this. I was reading this story back here, back in 2 Kings 4. Uh, The story in 1 Kings also talks about uh, oil, but it it was a little different analogy there, so I didn't use that one, but still, I think Jesus turning the water into wine, was saying again, there has to be the willingness of an empty vessel. I'm just going to ask you if you don't mind. I I feel the Spirit of God speaking tonight to some people here. Uh, If you're, just bow your head if you don't mind. Lord, we just submit to you tonight to be obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, there's some empty vessels here tonight that are hungry and thirsty for you, Lord. Thirsty for what you would do in them and through them. And Lord, there's some, there's some people here tonight, they just feel emptied. Like they've been poured out. And, and maybe feel like you were emptied in vain. And God wants you to know nothing, nothing is in vain that God fills empty vessels today, just like he did at the wedding in Cana, just like he did with Elisha. God's power wants to flow in us and through us as we become an empty, willing vessel. And Lord Jesus, I pray for individuals tonight that have felt so empty. Lord, I ask you to fill them right now. Fill them to overflowing with your power and your mercy and your goodness, O Lord. Fill them to overflowing with who you are and to know that you are more than sufficient. And Lord, for, I don't know if it's one person or several individuals here tonight that feel so abandoned, Lord, I pray for them in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would remind them that they have not been abandoned. They have not been set aside. But you simply desire to flow in them. And you want to pour that oil into them. When we're willing to become empty, you are willing to pour the oil and make new oil for us and in us. And you're willing and ready to to turn the water into wine. You're willing to change and do the miraculous things in our life, Lord. I ask you in the precious, precious name of Jesus, Lord, 
that you would comfort those who feel so abandoned. And they, Lord, tonight, they would feel encouraged and strengthened by the might of your power, Lord, to know that you are more than enough to meet the needs of their life. And they have not been abandoned. They have not been forsaken. They have not been left out. And Lord, even though they feel empty, Lord, you're just preparing to pour the oil. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your great mercy, your great kindness. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Be empty vessels. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Praise God. We will pick up verse 13, chapter 2, next Wednesday night. May the Lord bless you. I love you. Amen. Good to be home. Hallelujah.